Hey everybody, C-Note here and welcome to Dopamine, the show that is like a cloudy day. Refreshing. Today on the show I have Bob Dudley with me to discuss a few major topics, one of them being the definition of success. Bob is the product of a difficult youth, and um, but he had a natural ambition to create his own path, uh, and he was able to take charge of his life and create a new life for himself through persistence and a drive to be something more than his destiny and the story that was laid out for him. He made every effort to build something for himself. Um, he's since done that multiple times with multiple projects and now coaches others on how they can define their own success and create that success. Uh, we had an amazing conversation about all of those topics, which is um, pretty amazing because it's it's something that we need to kind of start out with when we're building something is defining what that success even looks like. So this is a really great episode. We dive into like religion a little bit and talk about some, some pretty interesting topics. It was a really good talk and I'm really excited about it. I remember feeling really good about it when it was done. So, um, without further ado, welcome to the show, Bob Dudley. Join me, 48 Hours Correspondent Erin Moriarty, on my podcast, My Life of Crime, as I take on true crime investigations like no other. This season, I'm looking into the labyrinth of crime and secrets within families. I'm cutting straight to the evidence and talking to the people directly involved, including investigators and the families of victims. Listen to My Life of Crime with Aaron Moriarty wherever you get your podcasts. Inspired by the life of the savvy and ambitious Colombian businesswoman Griselda Blanco comes a new Netflix original limited series. Griselda tells the story of a devoted mother who, with her lethal blend of charm and relentless savagery, creates one of the most powerful cartels in history. Witness Sofia Vergara's captivating transformation into the godmother of the underworld. Griselda, now streaming only on Netflix. Okay, Bob Dudley. Welcome to the show. Well, thank you, sir. It's good to have you. Good to have you. Um, pretty excited because you we literally got on the, the call and, and you're just in a, a good, upbeat guy. So I'm really excited to talk to you because it's going to help my mood too. Um, so tell us a little bit about yourself, uh, what you do, and if you've uh, personally or with anyone around you have dealt with any mental health issues in your life. All right. Well, uh, right now I run a, a, a success coaching company called Life Changers 180 to sh show entrepreneurs how to be successful. But my life always wasn't like that. Like most success coaches, I have a, a pretty um, dysfunctional background. Mm -hmm. I, was, uh, I was born in 57 and my, uh, my mom was a teenager and her boyfriend was around 30 years old and she wound up pregnant. They got married. I was born, they got divorced, and I've never seen him. Uh, the first guy I knew as my dad uh, was a, a pretty abusive person. I learned, I learned famous sayings like, you know, children are meant to be seen and not heard. And if I want your opinion, I'll beat it out of you. And, uh, and, right. and you know, gems like that. Then uh, finally, they divorced. She married again. We wound up uh, going to 17 different schools, I guess, before I finally quit high school and ran away and ultimately joined the Army. 
Um, it turned out that was a good thing for me. I got out of that environment and uh, mm -hmm. wound up uh, getting my GED in the Army, went to college, uh, pursued a degree in physics, actually, just to prove to myself that I could do something and not follow in my parents' footsteps and just be a, a welfare kid. Right. And that, that actually jump-started my uh, ideas of being able to accomplish anything. From there, I, was, I, I had a chain of martial arts studios. I uh, have several right now. I own several real estate investment companies. And then uh, just a few years ago, started the success coaching company with my oldest daughter. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and you ask about mental health. Yeah, my mom, I, I found out later in life, one of the reasons she would drop us off at different relatives' houses and be gone for months, months, sometimes a year at a time. Uh -huh. And it wasn't until later in life I found out it was because she was put in mental hospitals. She uh, would, would suffer from nervous breakdowns and, uh, mm -hmm. and we wouldn't see her for, for a year or so at a time. Wow. Wow, that's, that's, uh, that's, that's intense. Do you know anything about her diagnosis, what she was dealing with? Uh, you know, I don't because uh, it was other relatives, aunts and uncles that you know, told me what basically had happened. They never went into real detail. So I, I don't know what caused it. I'm mm -hmm. pretty sure that I didn't inherit it. I'm 61 now and, and things have been going pretty smooth in my life. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like you, you. Yeah, you sounds like you have a really good um, head on your shoulders, for lack of a better way to put it. And uh, you know, you're you're in a good space, which is great because, you know, we we hear a lot of these stories of of kids that are just born into situations that they don't have, or at least for a long time, don't feel they have any control of uh, in terms of changing. You know, you get abusive parents, you get you know uh, mental health difficulties. Uh, or even just social expectations and things trickle down to the kids. Um, sounds like you were able to find a way to, to escape and really find your own path through, uh, through the military. Um, so can you um, maybe tell us a little bit about your experience in the military and how that really started to change your mindset in terms of building your own path? Well, you know, uh, growing up, uh, I don't know if you've experienced this uh, or, or, or seen it, but in some of the, um, I guess working class neighborhoods and maybe lower class than that. Mm -hmm. There's this, there's this anger in that's, that's prevalent there where yes. we were taught that, you know, it's not your fault that you're here. It's, it's quote unquote, the man that puts you here and they're oppressing right. you. And, and mm -hmm. it's all, so you grew up with this anger and this feeling that uh, you gotta, people are out to get you right. and, uh, and you have no work ethic or I, my family didn't, let me put it that way. We had no real work ethic. It was mm -hmm. just what we could get by with and everything. So I went to the army to escape. As a matter of fact, I, the, the day I left home was when I turned 18 and my parents had taken me down to the local welfare office to sign up for benefits. And I just, at that second decided that was not going to be my life. Right. And, and the, and the cool thing I learned in the army was self-discipline, uh, having a goal, and, and, and pursuing something that's bigger than you. And, mm -hmm. uh, and that's carried through my life. Uh, it, it, I tell you what, the, I spent three years in the Army Infantry, and it changed everything. It was really worth being there. Yeah, you know, not only were you be able to learn how to be uh, a part of something bigger than you, but that discipline in terms of, of, of behavior within a unit, but also your, you know, the, the quality that you possessed naturally, it seems to want to better yourself based on the situation that you were originally presented. Uh, all of those things married together seem to make a really great recipe for you. Right. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it came home, uh, three years ago 
my granddaughter uh, wrote a book at, when she was 10 years old. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I go back and I think when I was, when I was 12, I uh, actually ran around with some street gangs and, and actually not my proudest moment, but that's mm-hmm. the first time I ever shot at another human being. Right. And, and then now I have a granddaughter who's 13. When she was 10 years old, her father actually went to prison mm-hmm. and she, her and her mother were looking for books to help her cope with that. And there weren't any. So at 10 years old, she decided she was going to write her own book. She wrote a book called Everyone Makes Mistakes, Living With My Daddy in Jail. Wow. And, um, and just the different mindset that she had at that age from what I had mm-hmm. and, and her growing up in middle-class America, her, uh, she's a, a viola student at Peabody Conservatory in Baltimore. She's written this book. She's been around the world. She just got back last year from New Zealand as a keynote speaker at a conference for um, people dealing with incarcerated people. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and she's been to the White House. She went there. Uh, she was invited there by President Obama and by President Trump. Uh, wow. And, uh, and she's just, the difference in life is, is amazing. Uh, some people have told me it's, it's about generational curses. Mm-hmm. That you, you, when you stop that uh, and, and you start living a life of purpose, that that trickles down. Some people say six, seven generations. So we're pretty much hoping that's what happens. And it looks like with Madison, that that's really what is happening. Yeah, it, it, it really sounds like, uh, you know, all of the good parts of the genetics are passing down. Uh, <laughs> mixed with the, uh, the, with the social aspects as well, because, you know, society is changing and developing and creating more opportunities for, for especially a, a young girl to be able to, uh, to, to write a book at such a young age and, and become, uh, to be able to have the freedom to tell her story, uh, you know, with the, the cultural changes has been uh, uh, good, good in that sense as well, because right. you mentioned, you mentioned basically like the blue collar worker scenario. I grew up in Philly and Philadelphia is basically the entire city is that <laughs> right. there's, there's this underlying tone of like, stay in your lane. <laughs> uh-huh. And it's not just about driving, um, right. which, which happens there too. Uh, so I can totally understand and relate to that. It's why I left Philly when I was 25. Uh, I was just surrounded by people who were stuck in that mentality um, just and were kind of almost mad at me when I would try to do things that would uh, break the mold. You know, people were just starting to look at you like, what are you doing? Yeah. Uh Uh-huh. Right. (laughs) Well, one of the things we talk about is uh, my daughters, I used to be, I was a professor at the Naval Academy for a while and Mm -hmm. uh, my daughters would go crabbing there in the, in the bay. Mm -hmm. And uh, you know, once you fill up a bucket of crabs, eventually one of them is going to try and crawl out of the bucket. And it's amazing. Every time the other crabs pull him back down. Right. And, uh, and that's kind of what you're, what you're describing. You know, we, uh, we, we just don't want to be a crab in a bucket. You know, there's more, more to life than that. Absolutely. Um, So I'm, I'm, as I was taking notes, I was curious also about, um, uh, uh, I guess we can kind of go in order, you know, when it came to how did it feel to get both the GED and to, uh, uh, to pursue physics? Is that something that you stuck with and utilized? I mean, it sounds like you've kind of gone all over the place in terms of what you've ended I, up doing. <laughs> I actually, yeah. Well, you know, the, the, when I went in the army, it was during the Vietnam war, but I wound up going to Korea mm-hmm. and, uh, at the time, you could join the army without a high school degree. You had to go in the infantry. Right. And, uh, and then what they would do is they would kind of, quote unquote, make you get a GED while you're there, which was great for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I was in Korea at the time, got my GED, and then 
uh, took two classes and wound up getting a high school diploma. And it was a, you know, it was a real big rush to be able to make that accomplishment. So, so that was good. And then, and then the physics degree came about because I had, I had quit high school after three years of the army, I left and they kind of make you feel like you're quitting when you don't reenlist. And then I had gone, actually, I, I grew up in LA and I'd moved after the army to Michigan to go to Bible college. And I went there for a year and a half and wound mm -hmm. up quitting. So I'm feeling like I'm really am my parents' child and I really am destined to be nothing. So I, I just, one night I'm thinking, what am I supposed to do? And I think, well, I'm going to go to the local university and get the hardest degree I can find. So I go down and I go to the registrar's office and I say, I want to get a degree. And they go, well, what do you want to major in? I says, I don't know. I just want a degree. So they said, here's a catalog, pick something. I'm thumbing through it. And uh, I saw this word. I had no idea what physics meant, but it mm -hmm. looked like it would be hard. So I says, I want to get a degree in physics. And she rolled her eyes at me, but signed me up. And I wound up taking the math placement test. I had to start uh, two years of math before I could even take my first class to get a physics degree and, you know, with calculus and whatnot. And, uh, and things went well. I was doing it. I was working in a factory full time at night because I, I had uh, two kids to take care of. Mm -hmm. And um, everything was going great until the next to my last semester, there was a knock on the door of my apartment. I opened the door and my mom and my stepdad and my six siblings from California had decided to move into my two bedroom apartment. Wow. Wow. Yeah. So, <laughs> I mean, my whole world's crashing down because I, I thought I had gotten a dream and I thought I was put that behind me but now it's like right there and it's real mm -hmm. so uh so uh, they moved in we were living in the second floor of a duplex and the landlord lived under us so there was uh let me see four and six seven eight twelve people in a two-bedroom apartment above the landlord that lasted like two weeks right and uh we got kicked out they got a place and my grades started to suffer and i decided i had to either you know leave that environment and finish my degree or just accept my destiny and, and be like them. Well, we moved out. I got the degree and I did it in three years and I did it. I graduated at the top of my class with honors. And what it taught me was not really physics. What it taught me was how to succeed in life, you know? Right. Mm -hmm. and, and then I went from there. I did use my degree. I, I went back in the service. I went in the air force. Uh -huh. They sent me to get a degree in uh, astronautical engineering and aerospace engineering. And I wound up working for about, 20 years as a rocket scientist wow. until, uh, until I decided to go to seminary, did that, uh, went from there to having a foundation that I run and uh, five real estate investment companies and now this success coaching company. And life has just been, once you figure out the formula, mm -hmm. it's just a, it's a roller coaster ride. It's just so exciting. It's fun. Well, I've never directly spoken to a rocket scientist before, so I am, <laughs> I am honored. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Oh, a, this is a life highlight for me. <laughs> um, yeah, if I could have afforded it, I would have went into uh, physics or something more sciencey. Uh, I went for graphic design, <laughs> but see, that would be fun. Yeah, it is fun. It's a, it's you know, it's fun because um, it, it was like more of the natural path for me because my dad has his own advertising agency since I was a kid. Uh, uh -huh. So I started to I would do a lot of sketching when I was younger and. I was so exposed to poor sales tactics via what people would do with like billboards and flyers and things like that. Right. That I saw the opportunity to correct that. So I started to help my dad make flyers for his, um, his business. And you know, my early work is, is, is riddled with, 
throw the kitchen sink at the flyer and then try to <laughs> get people to come to, to wherever they're going. But over time, you know, I, I learned to become more interested in the psychological aspect of it. So that mm-hmm. has been the most interesting in terms of marketing. You know, you kind of, you study people, you know, you learn their right. behaviors, you learn their patterns, where they look, where they're going to, how much time they're going to take to absorb something like that's really interesting. And it's actually helped me with this podcast to both learn how to talk to people, ask questions and, and see patterns in behavior. Um, mm. So, you know, it's been interesting in its own way. And, you know, in the oh, way yeah. that, in the way that you've kind of jumped from, I don't want to say jump from thing to thing, but there's been like this progression of you kind of trying to forge your own path and trying different things. And, and right. there's, there's merit in even saying that, that you were trying to find something that separated you from your destiny, essentially. And right. Uh, uh, you took control of that and that sounds great. Yeah. <laughs> um, so tell me a little bit about um, the success coaching and, um, and, and where you're going with that. Okay. Well, uh, I, I've written several books and uh, a couple of years ago, I decided to write a book on how I became successful, but mm-hmm. I wanted it to be different. Uh, having a, a, a theology degree I thought, let me see if I could find some of the principles like um, Napoleon Hill and Tony Robbins and all those guys say, see if I could find biblical basis for that to, Mm -hmm. because that's where my, my faith is. And, uh, and I, and I did, I found uh, several examples of people in the Bible that have done, followed a similar path as I have. And I came up with a book called the seven perfect steps of success. And, uh, then I got to thinking, you know, just having a book out there, there may not be a lot of audience, or I might not be able to reach a lot of people. And I really believe that everybody has a dream inside their heart that's put there to help them make the world a better place. Mm-hmm. But not everybody knows how to get that out. Right. So I thought, well, this would be a great book to do that. And then I met with my daughter. It was uh, 2015, July 5th. We sat in my, at my dining room table and I told her about the book coming out. And I said, but I want to do more. And we talked about, well, let's have a, a company where we could do like seminars and workshops and stuff like that. So we uh, put together a plan and launched it. And um, it's been doing great. We not only have we, we've looked at it as like a, um, a more maybe upscale success coaching company where we're dealing with people that want to make seven figures. Right. But we also wanted to reach people that couldn't afford that kind of class. So uh I don't know if you saw, but last year we were wrote, we were written up in Reader's Digest magazine for going into inner cities and working with inner cities Mm -hmm. to try to build entrepreneurs and an entrepreneurial spirit. And you don't have to be stuck here. As a matter of fact, for the last, I guess, six months, I've been going out to Chicago once or twice a month running seminars and workshops out there to try to, to, to build up the inner city out in that area. And it's just been really rewarding to, to do that, to, to give back to people that are in the same situation I was in and mm-hmm. show them that you don't have to stay there. That isn't your destiny. You can do something else. Right. Because it, it, you know, when you have like a high level success coaching, you know, seminars and things like that, that sort of stuff feels, you know, somebody from the outside looking in who might be in the inner cities or dealing with uh, low poverty situation, poverty situations, mm-hmm. you know, they, they'll look at that and they'll be like, I can never do that. Cause I can't afford it. You know, I'm, Seriously. I'm, I'm yeah. not, I'm not already a millionaire trying to be more of a millionaire. I'm a person that has nothing trying to be something. Seriously. Yeah. <laughs> so and, that, and that's, I tell you what, there are so many people in the United States that are disenfranchised from the American dream. Mm-hmm. That's just, we got to get rid of that. Absolutely. We continue to nurture 
you know, everyone at the top instead of trying to, you know, grow the seeds mm-hmm. from the bottom, you know? Exactly. It's absolutely important. Um, so, uh, um, so you mentioned like seminars, are you doing, is it, is it just, is it bigger scale stuff? Are you going to companies as well from, you know, from the more uh, premium angle, meaning with the seven figure in, uh, businesses and such, um, are you going into like, what do the seminars look like? Is it, are you doing one-on-one things or is it all big crowds, that sort of thing? Well, a good, that's a great question. What I do is uh, I have a workshop. It's a one and a half hour workshop called, how to be successful in business without compromising your Christian principles. And basically uh-huh. it's a, it's a great seminar on just being a very moral uh, business person. Mm-hmm. And uh, from, from there, uh, people can launch from there if they want to, but if they need more, then we offer a two day seminar, which mm-hmm. uh, is called ignite your life. And it goes through the first two steps of our seven perfect steps. And it's really fixing the inside game. We talk about having a precious burning desire is what we call it. And basically it's a, an over-the-top dream that if you've got, if you can fill your heart up with your dream, a lot of your obstacles become obsolete. You don't even notice them when you're running over them. But if you've got this little tiny flame of a dream and you go out there, you know, really timid, the, the least obstacle could just crush you. Right. So we, first thing we do is we spend the day talking about how to build that dream and how to turn it into goals. And then the second day, is about faith. We talk about faith in God because we're a, a Bible-based uh, organization, but then mm-hmm. we also talk about faith in a process and, uh, and how to have uh, you know, faith in some steps that somebody's already done. And if you do that and then you start applying them, eventually you build that faith in yourself. Because one of the things I've noticed is a lot of people that want to be entrepreneurs, they're not because they have that lack of confidence, you know, right. not because of the unknown. So we show them, learn a, learn a process and eventually you'll learn faith in yourself. So that's what we do that for two days. And again, if people are ready after that, they can go ahead and launch. But if not, then we do a three day uh, seminar, which is the next five steps, which shows you how to transition from the inside to the external and then how to launch your business. We do things like, uh, why do positive affirmations work and what happens when they don't work? Why don't they work? Right. Uh, we do uh, uh, how to build a plan and, and with step-by-step how to execute your plan. And then we talk about concrete action, which is when you go from, remember the first time you went from your business was just a dream to, oh my goodness, I'm actually going to do it. Mm-hmm. That turns out, uh, I've interviewed dozens of, of entrepreneurs and everyone says that's the hardest part of the entire process is when, yep. you, when you're making it real, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, and then, and then we so and then we 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 wrap up with uh, talking about tenacious persistence, how to how to keep going. We talk about something I call the success curve, mm-hmm. which uh, you know when people first start off in a business, they they're very optimistic, like they wake up every day thinking I'm changing the world today, and eventually they're not, and they start getting depressed. But they they get it's called uneducated optimism because they're excited, but they don't know why. And then it starts going downhill and I call that educated pessimism. And that's where most entrepreneurs mm. quit when they get to that point where they're starting to find out all the stuff they don't know. Right. And, uh, and usually they'll quit there, but if they can get the right coaching and mentoring and get the right people helping them, then the curve starts changing and the optimism comes back because now they're, they're helping people. They're making enough money to take care of their family, whatever. And then it's educated optimism and all the excitement they had at the beginning that was unfounded. Now they've got a reason to have that hope. So uh, one of the things we focus on is getting people past that educated pessimism and get them into the point where they're starting to actually be successful and they're seeing their vision come true and, and, they're, and they're starting to move forward. 
That's that all of that is absolutely wonderful. That sounds like you're really, really doing something to, to help people and continue to, you know, make a profit and have a life. Um, right. So um, at its core, you know, I want to ask you, um, how would you define success uh, for yourself or others? More so for yourself. How, at what point did you feel like you were a success? I should start with. Well, that's a, see, that's a deep question because everybody, <laughs> you know, everybody will define success differently. Uh-huh. As a matter of fact, my biggest lesson on that was I was, I was uh, looking at, because of my background, I was looking at financial success. That was kind of where my mindset was. So mm-hmm. I started interviewing people that I thought were way financially successful. Um, like I live near Gettysburg, Pennsylvania right now. And uh-huh. I interviewed one of the top surgeons in Pennsylvania. Uh, and and I, we went to his house, talked to his, him and his wife. And, and I'm thinking, you know, you're the best surgeon in the, in the state. You must be doing fantastic. So I asked him about how he feels about his success. And, and he told me that his definition of success was all of his kids had gone to college and got jobs and were productive members of society. Right. So it wasn't about him making multiple six figures. It was about his kids being good. Right. You know? Right. And uh, so, yeah. So I think it's really hard to put a, a real definition on success. Mm-hmm. I guess what I would say is success is what makes you feel like you're doing what you've been put here on the earth to do, whatever that is. That, that's a wonderful way to put it. Uh, and I'm sure that's, I mean, that's got to be part of your process, right? To, to yeah. help people define what that is for them. Because, you know, for, for me, that's something I'd been thinking about. As my life starts to change, I, uh, sure. you know, unfortunately went through a divorce last year. Um, I'm in much better place now and things are developing in a way that's been helpful for me to um, supplement what I want to do in life. And things are being more, uh, going in a much more positive, natural direction um, for me. But it's also allowed me to kind of redefine my vision of success. Uh, And and for me, that's not as lavish as I originally suspected it would be when I was younger. Uh You know, it's, it's really about, you know, finding a way to pay the bills for, you know, Molly and I to be able to go to have dinner (laughs) regularly or when we want to go on dates and do things and have freedom and, and all of Mm -hmm. that stuff, you know, all of that changes and everyone's perspective is, is, is different. Some people do want stuff and there's nothing wrong with that. Um, right. as long as it's not controlling you, <laughs> um, Seriously. you know, uh-huh. it's, it's, it's different for everyone. Um, so to, to kind of transition, I wanted to ask a little bit about the, um, the theology aspect. Um, because what I really, what's really refreshing about, uh, having spoken to you briefly on the internet, on Facebook and, and now mm-hmm. is that you speak from a path of learning through that and teaching through that, but it's not necessarily the lens of, through which you speak about things. I mean, you can, but in this conversation, you haven't been citing Bible verses like a lot of people <laughs> do. Uh, and I appreciate that because I'm not at all a religious person, but not right. in a way that's disrespectful. You know, I appreciate and understand the need and desire for it. Um, it, it's a it's a path for people, and I respect that a hundred percent. But I also appreciate when I can still have a conversation <laughs> about stuff about about it in a in a way that is, you know, respectful to both sides. Um, right. So so how since you, I guess you already kind of explained that you started going this path because of the fact that you have a theology degree. Um, are you? Uh, ex- are you talking outside of that other than just this interview, but like, are you expanding 
some of your uh, success coaching, does it always live within that realm or are you talking outside of it as well? Um, that's a great question. If you came to one of my seminars, mm -hmm. chances are if you weren't paying close attention, you would never know where my foundation is on that. Because right. uh, basically, let me put it this way. As a physicist, I believe that there's a law of gravity, there's a law of magnetism, electricity, mm -hmm. you know, whatever. Right. And um, as a Christian that's a physicist, I believe that God set those laws in motion. Right. And those are, were created by an intelligent being that, that sets them down as the foundation of how the physical world works. Mm -hmm. Well, in the same sense, I got to, you know, and, and, and here's the thing. If a person doesn't believe in God, that doesn't mean that the laws of gravity are suspended. Right. You know, gravity works the same for everybody. Electricity mm -hmm. works the same for everybody. So right. I got to think in that same way about if, if he could set up these physical laws, did he set up like um, spiritual laws of success, if you will, mm -hmm. that if you follow these steps, you have to be successful. And it doesn't right. matter whether you believe in God or not. Right. They work. Mm -hmm. And uh, what, what helped me understand that they work is that they're not, to me, to not believe in a, in a created, in a creator is to say that these laws are kind of arbitrary and who knows if they work or not. Right. But it helps me to, to anchor them to the Bible mm -hmm. to say, you know, these are laid down by an intelligent person. And right. if I can follow these, I have to be successful. There's no other way around it. So that's kind of where it comes from. So if you go to my seminars, chances are, unless you catch me on the side to talk to me about, well, why do you think that? I'm not right. going to, it doesn't matter. You know, mm -hmm. I won't tell you in the, in the seminar unless you ask me, uh, because the laws work no matter whether you believe or not. It's just that I happen to believe and that's where I pulled them from. Have you ever, um, did it, do you find that you've ever um, wrestled with the, perception of religion uh mostly because i i think the public perception of of religion especially when it you think about some of the more specific sectors like catholicism mm -hmm. and things like that right um there's a bit of a bad rap in terms of ignoring aspects of reality meaning uh -huh. you know <laughs> physics and yes. things like that that you're talking about um was that ever in competition for you or are you having a lot of those difficulties talking with other people about that sort of thing Oh, absolutely not. Be, um, when I was 12 years old, my parents were Catholic. And when uh -huh. I was 12 years old, and it was time to go to confirmation. My mom says, you know, you're going to be a, a quote unquote, you're going to be a man now. So you right. decide if you want to go or not. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and I call them CEO Catholics, Christmas and Easter only. They went to church <laughs> religiously twice a year. Um, so, so I told my mom, I says, you know, I, I know it's okay for you, but I'm an atheist. And, and I just declared myself not believing in any of that. Mm -hmm. And then, uh, and then I had an experience when I was 14, we wound up moving to Massachusetts for a while. And I had to stay with the, my aunt Barbara, my stepdad's sister. And she had a rule. If you're going to be in her house, you got to go to church. And right. they were Protestants, and we went to church Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, youth group on Friday night, like all the time. <laughs> <laughs> and, then, uh, and so I'm making friends. She announced this Bible, uh, going to Bible camp, and uh, went there. And there was a guy one night talking about just having a relationship with God. And I said, you know, all of a sudden I started crying, and I'm thinking, one second I don't believe there's a God, and now I want to know him. So uh, mm -hmm. I went to the front of the chapel and somebody showed me how I could know him from the Bible. And it really did change my whole life. Right. Uh, I ultimately became a professor at a Bible college where I taught science and math. 
and uh, and then eventually I wrote actually back in seven years ago I wrote a number one bestseller called the Gospel Evangelism in God's Heart, uh, just talking about it. It's not about like in a lot of churches where it's all rules and you got to do this and you got to do that. Right. It, it, I look at it more like when you get married to somebody. Nobody has to tell you how to behave. You instinctively know how to behave to make that person happy and to, and to, and to show them how much you love. And if right. you focus on that person, who needs rules? You don't need to be told. You're not supposed to, you know, I don't know, looking at old churches, play cards or drink or whatever. They right. said you don't dance, whatever. You mm -hmm. do whatever you, whatever makes you fall in love with the other person. Right. And, and I think that's what we're missing in churches today because people are being disengaged because they feel like there's no life there. It's just follow these sets of rules that make no sense. Yeah. And I, I think if you just, if you just fall in love with God, it all makes sense. It's just so simple. Yeah. It seems like the disconnect is um, not only the perception, but some of the, I guess not even just the perception, but like some of the actual fact of what's going on is, is the, that that disconnect that I was talking about, you know, because the beauty that that we've been able to have in this conversation is that I'm far from that, but we connect on so many levels because you know all of the core values are essentially the same, and oh, that's something that I've um, I've personally struggled with, kind of coming from the other angle. Like you said, you know, you you told your 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 parents that you were an atheist when you were younger, and I've. I don't even subscribe as that. I don't want uh, like, the labels weird. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, it's, you know, it's, um, but it's something that I've had a, a major conflict with, with my dad over, you know, decades. And, right. uh, you know, we're, we were basically trying to connect over a lot of the same core values, but from different angles, because my dad was, uh, um, I should, should say is, but at the time he was um, dealing with, his own version of self-discovery while I was also growing up. So uh -huh. that created challenges in our relationship because he would very much, uh, it's kind of like when you, when you're in college and the professor is teaching you, but he's literally just reading from the book <laughs> as right. opposed to yeah. coalescing what the, what the uh, concepts are and kind of teaching you how to think about something. Um, yeah. You know, my dad approached it from more of a literal, like, this is what this says, so you should follow this. And, you know, yeah. over the years, our relationship strengthened as we were able to kind of connect both me having a little bit more respect for where he's trying to come from and religion in general, and him uh -huh. sort of grounding himself in ways that he could still believe what he believes, but also being a person that is not you know, pie in the sky so much, you know, it's, it's, yeah. you know, you're dealing with the aspects of the real world. Um, and then eventually our relationship got better as a result. So it sounds like uh, a reason I say that is, is your ability to basically live within reality um, with as respectfully as I could put that <laughs> is, is, uh, is, is refreshing. And, you know, it's, um, it doesn't rob you of your ability to have your faith. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's a great spot to be in. It's a great place to live. And, uh, and I want to make a, a one shout out to, there was a, um, a podcast episode on star talk, which is Neil deGrasse Tyson's podcast. Um, uh -huh. 
he had a show where he was speaking with a Jesuit priest about, uh, you know, the whole religion versus science kind of uh-huh. uh, uh, stigma and debate and thing that, that happens. Like, why are these things being considered mutually exclusive when they're really not? Uh, you know, someone can be religious and believe in science, <laughs> you know, because science is reality and religion well, actually, has its own yeah. sense of reality. Seriously, you know, and Einstein and, well, not Einstein, I guess, but uh, Isaac Newton and Galileo and, and mm-hmm. Kepler and all of them were very uh, religious, for lack of a better word, religious right. people, great scientists, the founders of modern science. Right. So I, I don't know what happened along the way, but somewhere we decided that that religion happens on Sunday and, and science mm-hmm. happens on Monday through Friday. And I don't know, I think we did a great disservice to the world by separating those two. Yeah, you know, I think um, if I could try to ascertain what is what what what's kind of been going on is is like I had it and I lost it, so never mind. (laughs) (laughs) You know, when I when I was getting my physics degree, uh, we were learning, you know, uh, force equals mass times acceleration and Newton's Uh three laws and all that stuff. And somebody raised their hand and says, um, "Well, why is it?" F equals MA. How come it's not like F equals MA squared or something like that? And the professor said something that stuck with me forever. He says, you know, I can tell you how the universe works. If you want to know why, you got to go ask your pastor. There you go. (laughs) That's perfect. That's a really, because, you know, even with, with my exploration in life, like I'm taking a more holistic stance in certain things, uh, Uh especially talking about mental health. And, um, you know, I have my own kind of thinking superpowers. I'm really good at making connections and patterns. And there's a lot going on that happens so quickly that it feels like magic in terms of the way the brain works, you know? So it's like, in some ways you can kind of embrace the feeling that this is kind of magical and it's rad, (laughs) you know, this, 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 its own, your own oneness with the universe or God or whatever you want to subscribe to, you know, it's all kind Mm -hmm. of, it's, 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 you know, different, different ways to relay the same concepts, which is what I was uh, um, starting to reference in the Jesuit priest interview with Star Talk is they basically talked about that. He was uh, the Jesuit priest. I can't remember his name, but he was just saying, you know, the questions that we ask in the universe about dark matter and the connections between things and atoms and uh, supernovas and all these crazy things that are going on, you know, w- one person will just simply say that, that, that we don't know. Um, and you know, another will say that that's God doing his work and there's no reason that we can't look at, you know, all of the little things and study a flower and study God's creation. There's no reason you can't do that. And I think that that explanation that, go ahead. Yeah, no, and I, and I agree. And we absolutely should be doing that. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's why we're here. Right. Absolutely. So, I mean, I appreciate you entertaining that aspect of the the conversation because that's, it's kind of important to me personally as well. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, okay, so let's end this on kind of like a fun note. I'm really curious about the martial arts studios. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, here, when I was um, about 17, my stepdad says, um, he says, you're sarcastic. I said, yeah. He says, well, and, and I was going to all these different schools, like every six months. He says, you're going to have to either learn to shut up or how to fight. And I said, well, I can't learn to shut up. Uh-huh. So he, he gave me karate lessons. And then I wound up, when I went in the army, I wound up, I was close to being a black belt, went to Korea, you know, which has a lot of martial arts there, uh-huh. and uh, wound up getting my black belt really soon. And then I wound up being one of the martial arts instructors for the second infantry division, right? Cool. I taught. So if I was not out on patrol, 
I did eight to 10 hours of, of Taekwondo every single day, mm-hmm. like six days a week. It was amazing. So I get back to the States. I'm, I've, I've been on the United States Taekwondo team by then. I've been, I fought in the 1976 World Cup games in Seoul, Korea. Uh, so really getting big in the martial arts. Started fighting full contact karate, doing really well at that. So I thought I'm going to open a studio. So uh, this is actually my first failure story. I, there's this gas station that has this garage they're renting because they're not using it. So I go ahead and I rent it. I said, I'm going to start a martial arts studio because I know how to teach. I know how to fight the whole nine yards. So I mm-hmm. put up mirrors and belts and certificates everywhere and a heavy bag and mats on the ground. And I'm ready. And I open my doors. And the first month, nobody shows up. The second month, nobody shows up. I knew nothing about marketing. Um, by, three, by the third month, I'd close the doors. And I thought, you know, this is like a dream of mine. And I was really crushed because I couldn't figure out why it didn't work. And um, I wound up finishing my physics degree, went in the Army. No, I went in the Air Force and then uh, wound up stationed in uh, uh, Norton Air Force Base in San Bernardino, California. Mm. And uh, I met this guy that we were just talking about dreams or something. I said, well, I had always wanted to do a martial arts studio. He says, well, why don't you? I said, well, I tried and this is what happened. And uh, he says, well, let me show you. And uh, he says, what are your goals? And I said, well, I want to have the biggest martial arts studio in San Bernardino. So he says, okay. Well, within a year, I had, he'd shown me how to market and do sales and, and, and everything and add the businesses aspect to the product that I wanted to deliver. And I wound up having a studio that was the largest martial arts studio at the time in San Bernardino. I had over 100 students in every class. And I got it right up to the top. And then the Air Force decided to transfer me. Mm-hmm. So uh, I went to another base and I did it again and again and again. I wound up having five studios uh, in the United States plus one down in Panama City, Panama, mm-hmm. that I'd, I've never even been to. But anyways, <laughs> I wound up getting a chain of martial arts studios that were each one of them was massive. And I was just doing fantastic. And it was all a matter of not just having a great product, mm-hmm. but having great marketing because now I, I know and believe that if you believe in your product, you must be good at marketing and sales because you need to show people that they need what you have to offer. And, uh, and, and so that's my martial arts story. I wound up, I have black belts in uh, a fourth degree in Taekwondo, a second degree in another kind of Taekwondo, a first degree in Tang Sudo, a first degree in uh, Kun Tao, which is a Filipino martial arts, a first mm-hmm. degree in Jiu Jitsu. I just, and it was all because we figured out the way to succeed. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and just and went for it. Fantastic! I have a first degree black belt in Taekwondo, but I was like oh. thirteen. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Some things never leave you, but it's been a while. <laughs> my uh, my my thirteen year old granddaughter, the one I told you about that wrote the book, she just did her black belt test in Tangsudo this last weekend. Sunday. Wow! Yeah, oh. so awesome. Good for her. Yeah. She's already doing a lot of amazing things. <laughs> Yeah, I'm so proud of her. Yeah, that's uh, uh, we are too. <laughs> uh, so, um, just to to kind of wind down and wrap this up, what do you think is the one thing about your personality that has helped you become a success? I once I got that degree in physics, and it was probably part of my personality back then. I just didn't know, but once I got that, and I realized I could do that, and how hard that was. Mm-hmm. I, the thing that I think makes me successful above everything else is I never quit. Mm-hmm. I might get knocked down. I might get beat up, but I'm not going to stop. If I, if I know that something that I'm supposed to do, that's something that's in my heart and I can make the world a better place. I'm just going to go like a bulldog. I'm not letting go. I'm going until I get it. 
Fantastic. Yeah, I, I also believe really strongly in persistence. Uh, it, it'll get you a lot of things in this world. So um, thank you, Bob, for being on the show. This has been amazing. Can you tell everyone a little bit about um, where they can find uh, your stuff and your granddaughter's book? <laughs> yes, absolutely. If you go to our website, it's uh, lifechangers180.org. Mm-hmm. Okay. And uh, uh, on the very first page, you'll see a link to get my book. And um, if you go on there and, 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 uh, and send me an email on contact, I'll tell you how to get a hold of Madison's book. She Wonderful. probably, she's better than me on, on books. She sells a thousand a month. Wow. <laughs> well, if you can get me the, if she's on Amazon or anywhere that people can order online yeah. and send me that oh, link, yeah. I will put it on the description so people can check it out. I will do that. Yes. It's, uh, it's on Amazon, Madison Strimpeck. Uh, everyone makes mistakes. It's on Amazon and Barnes and Noble, but I'll send you Christian. I'll send you the link to that. Yeah. Fantastic. Well, thank you again, Bob, for being on the show. This has been a really great conversation and uh, uh, congratulations on all of your success. You've had uh, this, a really interesting story. I really appreciate you sharing all of this with me. And um, I, I speak for the audience when we say we're proud of what you've done and uh, can wish you all the best in your continued success. I really appreciate that, Christian. Thank you very much. Thanks for giving me the opportunity to talk to to everyone. Fantastic. Well, thank you for being on the show, and uh, we'll catch you guys next time. All right. You take care, bro. Hey, you beautiful human. Thanks for listening to Dopamine. I really appreciate it. If you thought this was a dope show, then you should wait until next week. But also, while you wait, you should go to iTunes and Stitcher and leave a positive review. Positive reviews help me to uh, fill up my dopamine tank. Otherwise, you can send your friends to dopamine.life to listen to the show or hi, my name is Christian.com to get the latest updates. I'll catch you later. Baby, I'm a fiend, I'm a fiend. Oh, you know you got me going off your dopamine. All I really need, all I need is for you to put me on to the recipe. It's a my team, you got me going off your dopamine. Yeah, it's a my team, you got me going off your dopamine.